Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Reddy, but my friends call me Spanners. So, let's be friends. Testing is over. We've seen all the cars on track. We've heard all the comments from all the team leaders and drivers. And the one thing you must always remember is that you can't tell anything from testing. So, to that end, today we are going to give you all our definitive conclusions from testing The panel will present their running order and pace order based entirely on those three days of testing. And why not? Because in a week's time, we will all look like fools. People will say, what, you didn't see that Williams domination coming? You didn't know they were sandbagging? Were you blind? So today we're going to rub our crystal balls and speak with a devastating, unearned authority, all for your amusement, so that we can remain an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves, we aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. Joining me is Matt Two Rumpets. Hello, Matt. Double wishbone? How's about a triple wishbone? Uh-oh, is this going to be tech-heavy? You're not going to talk about dive stall plates on the front wing of Mercedes's, are you? I'm just talking about that very clever wishbone trick that Mercedes showed us on day three of testing. Nice. And we're joined by our resident free vet. It's Chris Catman-Turner. Hey, Chris. Hey, Spanners. I've come today prepared and I can give you definitive proof that Haas won testing. Okay. Okay. Brilliant. Uh, Because I've heard that Red Bull basically have already won 2025 based on it. And I'm I'm actually loving everyone's real hot takes on it. And we're going to try and match that energy. I have some bold declarations as well, like... Red Bull aren't going to win the championship. That is bold. That's yeah, very bold. I, just, I don't really believe it myself, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try. Okay. And joining us as well is Antonia Rankin. Hello, Antonia. Hi. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to acting smart and knowledgeable now and being proven completely and entirely wrong next weekend. But it'll be fun. 
So th- this is it. Like a lot of these predictions will, will be wrong. Like this, what we're about to embark on is the most foolish thing you can do, which is make definitive predictions from testing. But the alternative would be just to be silent. And and I've, I just I really enjoy the game of teasing it out. So I mean, we do a mini version of it, Matt, don't we? Every Friday, and we're sitting there trying to go, well, who's got race pace? Who's got quality pace? And testing like a massive version of that. And I feel like in my own way. I've got some fairly sound methods. Like I can, I can show my working. Uh, as did those who ran a geocentric solar system. They had a very sound way of approaching things. It was often accurate, however, occasionally induced very large error. Are you, yeah, yeah, it's, are it's, you comparing it, my predictions to, to incorrect solar system? Solar system. Uh. Well, kind of. But that would be mine, too, because as you have already pointed out, there's so much that we don't know. It's really impossible to to have a super clear and precise idea of where every team is. Yeah, and, and Christopher, you know, you were saying to me, you know, not everyone will understand exactly why the teams go testing. I know it's obvious, but in the olden, olden days, you used to have whole separate arms of the team that would do testing, you know, whenever they weren't at racetracks. Now they just get this three days. Have they done literally nothing before that? Yeah, no on-track running at all. Back in the 90s and noughties, you know, Ferrari had the Fiorano test track where they could go literally every single day and manage to um, just test anything that they wanted to out and just send that back to the race team. They had spare cars, everything they could do. They run thousands of miles per year. Now you just get three days. Absolutely. The importance of pre-season testing to these teams so cannot overstate it i mean to us it's just a little teaser session before next weekend to them it's their only actual proper running they get to do even in wind tunnels they run scaled down versions of the cars so aerodynamically and in every other aspect this is their first and probably only proper way of seeing how the cars will perform other than in practice sessions for the whole season yeah so we've got the three days data what we have drive to survive which I'm using as part of my crystal ball this year as well. So what do we do? I'm assuming in our head, we all have a basic running order. Uh, you know, what, what do we do? What's the thing that you look for first, Matt, where you go, is that team in good shape or bad shape? Well, I think for me always, number one is you just look at how many laps did they run? Did they have to stop a lot for reliability or other issues? That's thing number one. Thing number two Uh, Trusted observers, for example, someone like Anthony Davidson making an observation about how a car looks on track Mm -hmm. is worth a lot more than, say, certain other commentators or like, you know, Sam Collins making an observation about this. People you know, you trust and are there. Absolutely. So, you know, when you're on looking at the, the cars just going around the track, people might think that's boring and you could spend hours and hours watching, but you can get a serious amount of information from that that gives you the predictive power that we're looking for. So, you know, what they're doing on turn-in, is it doing what the drivers want? Are they having to correct mid-corner? Are they able to get the power down early? All of these things you can see, yes, there are caveats with fuel loads and engine modes and that sort of thing, but actually you can tell from the car's you know, dynamic behavior on track and, and how the drivers are reacting to it, that gives you a huge amount of, of information that you can use. I don't do any of that. I haven't got, when I, I tell you what, I, I am, if you genuinely, if you can look at a car and go, that's behaving well, that's behaving badly, aside from when there's a big like swapper, I can't tell. 
I can't look at a car through a corner, Antonia, and go, oh, yeah, look at the dialed in understeer there. But that's what other teams are doing. What we forget is that what we do, which is sitting at home, staring at these cars, wondering what we can possibly pick apart about them, is exactly what Adrian Newey is doing, looking at the Ferraris, what all of these other teams are doing, looking at each other going, oh, what are they doing? How do they look? What's their data probably going to yield? You know, we're not doing anything different to what they are. So whilst we can kind of shun it and go, yeah, what do we know? We're just sat here picking apart. Oh, it looks okay. That's what all the other teams are doing because that's all they can do. And that's the fun thing, Matt, is you can see that the teams are playing this exact same game we are. And, and broadly speaking, apart from their experience, they've only got one more data point than we have. So they know if they're bluffing or not. But, you know, they don't really know what Mercedes... Zach Brown said, he goes, well, Mercedes in particular hide their pace so we can't read them. But it's interesting that they're playing that game too. Well, yeah, and don't forget, they will have a passel of photographers and videographers out there filming constantly to go back over this footage. So they have a lot more, they have access to more resource than we have. But I remember uh, Jack Dewan in particular made a really interesting observation. He's like, as a driver, I can look at a car and tell you if it's got like 90 liters of fuel in it or 20 liters of fuel in it. But that's because he's a driver and he's there and that's his expertise. So that's why I say, you know, you really have to evaluate the source that's giving you information when it comes to its veracity and, and what they're qualified to, to take something away from. The other one is, don't forget the team members will tell you things. They interview the drivers and drivers say kind of things like, oh, yeah, well, you know, we fixed all the last season's problems. But, wow, we sure found some new ones that probably <laughs> they didn't want anyone to know. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, although I would suggest actually that you look at what, not how, no, sorry, not what the driver is saying, but how the driver mm. is saying it, because mm. they are not very good actors, particularly people <laughs> like Lando Norris, who's oh saying, my yeah, goodness. we're okay, kind of. Oh, Lando looked so upset. They said, they asked Let's him, go. they asked all the drivers, do you think you'll be on the podium? And he was like, well, maybe, I don't know. No, he was no. really upset, like Ferrari are miles ahead. Yeah. Oh, bless him. I think he's a a real downer at the moment. He said that he got what he wanted from the test. The team nearly got what they wanted from the test, but doesn't sound like they got actually what they wanted, which was a fast car, unfortunately. I will say across the board, though, generally speaking, there weren't any issues that really stuck out to me, at least, across all of the teams. I mean, the only red flags were from the blimming drain covers. There weren't any stints where the car came limping back into the pits. Generally speaking, as far as tests go, as far as we know, obviously, having not got the data, it seemed to be pretty smooth running. I was really upset about that drain cover because, you know, my quest against street circuits... So when the drain cover came up out at Vegas, I was there all smug. Uh, let's just race on proper racetracks, guys. And like really like, oh, that was my gotcha. Like I won stupid drain cover, stupid Vegas. And then it, they have to go and do it at a proper track as well and ruin it. So for the sake of false begrudging balance, no oh, blimmin' hell, uh, permanent racetracks. Ugh, why don't we just race on streets where the drains are okay sometimes? Why do they even need drains? I know it's called Bahrain. There isn't any rain in Bahrain. There's no actual rivers oh, or God. streams at all in we're Bahrain. Get, it barely gonna, rains there ever. We're going to so get emails. why do they even need drains? We're going to get emails now about the precise precipitation of uh, the Bahrain, of the Shakir area. Uh, it's Matt, 72 millimetres it? per year, just so you know. Oh. Yeah, it does rain there. But I want to say I've actually been inspired by this incident to write a children's book 
and the children's book title will be Ferrari and the Drain Cover, a tale of how two very different objects became friends. Yeah, and it's the, it was Ferrari again. So I think I think you have to ask the question, you know, is Ferrari a drain cover wrecker? So, I mean, one of the biggest things we've touched on it there is, is the vibes coming out of the teams. So it's really telling when you, you interview the, the drivers and you can see their tone. So, you know, you quickly running through them, you kind of go, well, the Aston Martin drivers looked pretty sad. They were, it was at Ted Kravitz, I think, trying to get Stroll to be really optimistic and go, well, is it better than last year's car? And there was the longest pause ever and you go, that's more telling than days of sitting and watching the lap time. And then you had uh, Allison, uh, James Allison, and you're asking him, and, and I have to translate this for people who don't speak England English, when he said, yeah, we're looking all right. That doesn't mean, you know, a middle ground thing. That, that's, that's about as pleased as he could be from the test, given his, his previous expectations. And we'll talk a little bit about what those expectations are. But the, the main thing I kind of go off, the starting point is always where we think they are from last season in the middle of a regulation set. The chances are the most likely thing is everybody is broadly where they were last season, which leads us to Red Bull, which is where we're going to start. Okay, there has been so much discussion in testing about every team. There's been fighting about every team's relative position except Red Bull. Antonia, have they given us zero hope for competition up front? <laughs> I don't want to think about it, but yeah, I, they all, everyone's already making jokes online, at least about, yeah, can't wait for 2025. That's going to be our year. You know, <laughs> they they do seem to have a very strong car. The comments from the drivers and the teams is genuinely very positive. Their side pod and cooling layout change doesn't seem to have had any adverse negative effects. If if anything, it's enhanced the performance of the car. Max has specifically said that it's a nicer car to drive and it's more in tune with his personal driving impulses, which is great because it just means it's more suited to three-time world champion oh, Max Verstappen, who is already unstoppable. I'm crying in Perez fan. <laughs> no. But, you know, it, it, is, it is what it is. And frankly, we won't know until next week because, of course, the proportional increase of other teams such as Ferrari also seems to be very optimistic. And even if Red Bull are on the same trajectory as they were on last year, it does look, kind of look like other teams could be bridging that gap a little bit. So yeah, I think generally we can say they're going to be dominant, but we could see a lot more other winners sprinkled in there amongst that dominance this season. I love your optimism. I really do. Unfortunately, Let me have this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think Red Bull could have brought their 2023 car and still been at the front of the field. I just think they're showing off now because, you know, Mercedes, I, I know it's not zero pod, but Mercedes couldn't make the zero pod work. And Adrian just kind of went, hold my beer and <laughs> just decided to do something that looks like it. And they're apparently going to introduce something like that kind of partway through the season and Japan, see if it's yeah, working. Suzuka. Yeah, it's weird saying Japan. I'm thinking that's three quarters of the way through the year, but that's only in a couple of months, isn't it? I think the reason they've gone Japan is because the other temperatures generally lower. So it's one of the lower temperature races, I think. So having less okay. cooling will have less of an impact. Um, I'm really interested to see what, what happens when, when that kicks off, because in, in my experience of, in engineering, these very clever design engineers, they all seem to have this wonderful blind spot for cooling. They, it's just like they wish it away. And, and I have, yeah. I've told people direct to their face, real smart cookies. I've used this exact same piece of equipment in that condition that you're talking about. And it's cooked and it's fried. And they've gone, no, 
and they've shown me graphs. So that could be like an, an Achilles heel. Look at us desperately looking for looking for things. Antonio, then. But they've got the call out, the calling layout change, which specifically suggests that they've accounted for that. So, you know, as much as we'd love to try and find a fault with Newey, he isn't the type to miss something out. And with that specific look to adjusting the calling layout with the ducts, I, I don't think we can reasonably pick that one apart, unfortunately. And not just that. Uh, in James Allison's interview, he said, I'll tell you what I'd really like to be able to do. I'd like to be able to go in to their garage, rip the engine cover off, and have a look around at all, all those snorkels underneath all those gubbins and whatnot. Cooling is going to be a major factor, and here is why. Because the engines are restricted. But if you can get your engine running cooler, you can access more power without changing anything else. And on top of that, Red Bull discovered there's a little tiny hole in the aerodynamic testing regulations for cooling, for internal air routing. They've done a really clever thing with how they've done it. They're not the only team to make a massive change in the cooling. It's going to be a war, but it's going to be one we're going to have a real hard time seeing. Are those the, the scoops above the driver's head, just behind where they, they kind of get air in just from there, where it might be more laminar? Is that the ones you're talking about? Not just that. They've rearranged the charge cooler and the radiators inside the internals of the side pod in order okay. to go with this new testing. And there's still room between that cooling and the edge of the side pod. So there's potential to shrink that further. But as we found last year, it's not just in the engine where cooling became so vital. We're now racing in so many hot, humid countries that cooling of brakes, engine, every single part of the car needs to be accounted for, which historically the last couple of years, a couple of teams have slipped up on. And it's why even stuff like the layout of a suspension can become so integral because it changes the airflow around where the wheels are, where the all of the mechanisms are. Yeah, tech, cool. Yeah, got it, tech. Yeah. Oh no, Matt wants to do more tech. Okay, cool. And I was going to say, don't forget how many different variations of gills and slots, not just Red Bull, but all the teams went through. The modular design thing is changing how this is all playing out. And all the teams are playing with the least amount of external openings they can have and still have a performant power unit to the level that they need to run it. I can give you one modicum of hope, though, Spanners is that they didn't set a time that was quicker than they did last year in testing. Yeah, I was actually going to pick you up on what you said there. Because uh, firstly, I want to say you three nerds, you're all on the verge of doing one of those tweets with the squiggly lines. So go off and do a tweet with a picture and a squiggly line. And uh, I think the fear for Red Bull was if we turn up with a 2023 car, actually, they might have bridged the gap significantly. So they must have felt like they sort of maxed out where they were with that 2023 car. So I, I do think it is a, a risk. So they have taken a risk and they do look reasonable. James Allison described their race pace as, as fierce and nobody is questioning that they're the fastest in, in nearly every area. And I don't think they were pushing, particularly in testing. I saw some analysis about the tyre wear and they basically said that Verstappen's runs, and this is horrific, exhibited zero tyre wear. But most likely that just means that, you know, that they, he just wasn't leaning on it. He was doing everything and looking that good without leaning on it. And I think in the 2023 season, a lot of times we didn't see them struggle from tyre wear because they just weren't having to lean on it. Uh, Chris and then Antonio, please. 
yeah, they've they've got downforce in buckets and they just don't need to use it because they've got so much inherent pace. The other thing I saw, another graph, which I'm sure you'll be very pleased of, Spanners, was uh, some of the, the speed traces. And it was Mercedes and Red Bull were right at the bottom. And essentially the the, yeah. the speeds of Verstappen down the straight were just topping off about 10K less than, say, the Ferrari was, which is just showing that they're using a lower engine mode. But if they can produce those times with no deg and lower speed down the straights, I think everyone's in trouble. But again, going back to bridging the gap, it seems that teams like Ferrari, who last year specifically really struggled with tyre deg, have managed to kind of combat that. So in a couple of runs where uh, the Ferrari was doing race length runs, in the second half of the run, the Ferrari was actually showing better pace than the Red Bull, which suggests that tyre degradation was much better maintained than it was last year so yeah whilst Red Bull might have managed to carry on with their pretty good streak of just I don't know whacking Lego tires on the car and going off with one other teams were managing to catch up with that a bit which is a point of optimism and let me have this Cameron don't don't shoot yeah, me don't down ruin it optimism. just yet don't ruin it just yet so so <laughs> from, from what I can see with that engine modes thing is that people were talking I'm, I'm, none of them are running Max flat out trying to destroy their their engine for sure, but it did look like it was Mercedes and Red Bull particularly running particularly low engine modes, which is no surprise for for Mercedes. They they generally do do that, and they tend to run like harder tires and are very very conservative in testing. Red, Red Bull not so much, Matt. I don't I don't think Red Bull are really you know they're not pr- prone to playing silly games. They sort of go about a a normal testing profile usually. But what was interesting was day one. They sort of did a bit of a, a a counter lot of runs to everyone. Now, I don't know if Red Bull had a specific need to look specifically dominant on the timing sheets on that first day, but they were doing low fuel performance runs where where nobody else was. So I think that kind of set everyone on, off on the back foot, feeling very negative. And I, but I just get the feeling that maybe Red Bull have shown a little more than say Mercedes and shown a little more than they might ordinarily. Do. I'm not saying it's not going to be frighteningly good, but it might not be as devastating as it appears. Yeah, I, I think to go along with what you're saying, to me, the real question here isn't, is Red Bull ahead, but more exactly how much are they ahead? And crucially, I think, how easy will it be for them to get something wrong and let somebody else win? Are we going to see a couple of winners this season? Is it going to be less dominant or yeah. Is it just going to be like last season all over again, except for they probably won't get Singapore wrong because they did that last year and they'll learn from that. Well, what's a season where a, a team or a driver was fairly dominant, but the season was still good? You know, is is there room for that? Because someone else winning the championship or it being a, a, a dogfight like 2021 feels a little bit optimistic and ambitious. But there's a middle ground, isn't there, where one team doesn't win all but one race? I mean, Charles Leclerc had a good season a couple of seasons ago in about 2019-2020 that was completely screwed up by strategy. So there's a lot of seasons where you can look back and say they've had a couple of the elements, but not all of them. Hmm? You think about 22, early 22? Well, no, going back further, I think 2019-2020 when Charles Leclerc was winning Spa, Monza, that kind of era, he had a really good paced car and obviously a lot of ability to do with it. But the strategy that season meant error after error caused them to completely slip out of contention for the title. So there's been a couple of seasons where we've had great cars, great capability, and it's just not all added up. 
Yeah, I think as long as we can have Ferrari or Mercedes or somebody inside that pit stop window, which means that Max can't just do what he wants, then that should be absolutely fine. Antonia says we. Like, that's not going to be until next year, Antonia. I'm sorry. Gosh, why are you guys so negative? I'm trying. I'm trying. On my Sunday night. I thought I was being fairly delusional. I'm trying my best to to find some find some hope there. So so my hope I think it lies with one other team and it's hope for the good of the sport. I'm not being anti Red Bull. They're doing very very well and Max Verstappen's brilliant and all that. Um but obviously we I think everybody hopes for a bit of competition. Even in like 2019 as a Hamilton fan when Ferrari's allegedly completely illegal and cheaty uh, use of the fuel flow allegedly got allegedly fined 50 million pounds for it that is completely findable in the FIA records by the way um but you still have to say allegedly for some reason so that was disappointing because then the Bottas challenge never really emerged so for your driver winning 2019 and 2020 as a Hamilton fan that was much less satisfying it's got to be getting to that point for Verstappen fans as well if it's another walkover surely they crave they crave a hunt surely Verstappen was getting so bored last season. It was he was saying it on the radio. You know, there were races when he'd start from P10 plus further back, and Hungry. drivers would just mm. move over. They would literally yeah. just move over and let him through because they'd go, "This isn't our fight." Verstappen himself doesn't want that. No one wants to have their wins handed to them because no one else can be bothered to fight them. I'm sure. Verstappen, if you put him in a position where he's battling and battling, yeah, obviously, as, as long as he comes out on top, he's happy. But I I think everyone as a sport, it would be great to see more neck-to-neck battles. And that's the kind of thing that I think a lot of us felt robbed of last season. Well, personally, I would take all my wins always handed to me on a platter with no effort whatsoever. Yeah, I, love, I, love I will winning. admit yeah. it is bad box office. But the good news for us is it's not just Ferrari that's being talked about here. And I think I know where Spanners is going, and I have some evidence to support him. All right. So, do you want to suggest the next team then? And I'll press the button and it'll go do, 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 do. Mercedes. Do, 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 do. <laughs> it doesn't go do, 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 do at all. All right. Okay. Mercedes, I, I think Mercedes are the second strongest team coming out of testing. Let's have a look at looks to see if there's anyone agreeing, disagreeing. What do we think? Catman, do you agree? No, you're on the fence. Rankin? Yeah, I, I, agree. Think, I think Ferrari will be just ahead of Mercedes, but I think Ooh. it will be close. I think one lap pace Ferrari may have it, but I think over a race stint, I think Mercedes might edge them. Yeah, so that's that's really be. interesting. So in the olden days, you could just talk about who's fastest, whereas now you have to make a very clear distinction between Saturday pace and, and Sunday pace. And, you know, it's inconvenient to have cars ahead of you. So there was a lot of races last season where Mercedes had the race pace. And if you look at the race pace stint, they were clearly the second fastest car, but a Mercedes or a Ferrari had gotten ahead of them on a Saturday. They'd had shenanigans in the mid pack and then they never really got to got to show it off. Um, so yes, if you're going to end up starting eighth or out of Q2, out of Q2, like Hamilton did several times last season, that's bad. But if it's just, if it's, if, if you were in a title fight, say, Rosberg-Hamilton. In fact, that's the classic example. 2015, Rosberg won the qualifying trophy when they used to have a qualifying trophy and uh, they awarded it to him at the end of the season. He's like, thanks, thanks a bunch. And like, throws it in the bin on the way out. But I think Hamilton was perfectly happy to be more set up for the, for the race 
and 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 was able to then you know really dominate it on a on a Sunday in in 2015. So yeah, so now we do have to talk about that difference a little bit between one lap pace and race pace. But I I still think Matt, it's it's nearly useless in a straight championship fight to go ah, but they're better on one lap pace. I, I've sort of I'm inclined to say who cares. I really want to know about Sunday. Um, yeah, you'd be right. I, I'd say within a couple of places, you care. Is it third instead of first? You don't care. Is it seventh instead of first? Okay, yeah, maybe yeah, that's yeah. going to make a bit yeah. of a difference. But what you do see amongst all of the teams, including Ferrari, is an increased realization of that thing we have been saying for a while, which is that with this new regulation and with DRS the way it is, your qualifying position isn't quite as important as your ability to deliver race pace, particularly later in the stint as you approach the pit stops. Absolutely. And you can see in testing that that has yielded better response from the Ferrari in particular, where they focused on that. Their longer performance across a longer stint is so much stronger or is looking to be so much stronger than it was last season. Because unlike in previous years, perhaps when dirty air was more of a problem, you can't just whack it in P2 in quali and hope to stay in the top, even top 10 or so in a race. Cars slip down the order so easily nowadays more recently and it's so important to have longer stint pace which the ferrari hopefully you can tell i'm being optimistic here look i, I don't know if i'm being delulu well, well, what do you mean ho- hopefully you can't just throw around hopefully when talking I'm about ferrari, ferrari. I, I, I say something positive and then i'm like no you're going to be ridiculed tone it down <laughs> no, no it's fine but you're just sort of exposing a little bit of uh, ferrari fandom and uh, until 2025 that is still a little bit of a party foul around here in the shed. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Next I like think I'm unbiased. <laughs> no. But... Are you a bit of a Ferrari fan, Antonia? Everybody's a Ferrari fan. Oh, my goodness. Right. Everybody's a Ferrari fan. So I do could... apologise for the comments of Antonia Rankin here and apologise if that's caused any offence to people who no, obviously no. aren't Ferrari fans. Right. Um, but, but Dear that... listeners, if, if Sebastian Vettel himself said it, then it's true. Well, there okay? you go. I um, preach to one Lord and Saviour, and his name is Sebastian Vettel. My goodness. I'm normally quite good at panel selection, but um, Antonia is the last of the panel that we haven't done a meet the panel for. So if you hang around a little bit after our testing review, we're going to meet Antonia Rankin properly, like we've met all the other members of the panel, and we're going to find out about her obsessive need to throw women in the air. So she's always throwing women in the air and proud of it. Find that odd, but we'll find out more. Catman. You can't follow that. You don't. No, I, <laughs> great segue there, Spanners. <laughs> no, I, I'm done. I can't think of anything else now. Oh, no, you've, I've actually thrown you. Oh, my goodness. So we're talking about, about the, really, we're talking about the challenge for second at the moment is most people are putting their money between Ferrari and Mercedes at the moment. Yeah. And I think, you know, you would be, if you were creating a cloud of probability, you could put both Mercedes and Ferrari two to four, two to five, and you, you would yeah. be absolutely right. But the thing that I want to focus on is a statement made by Davidson on, I think it was day two, where he said, I just think, you know, that the Mercedes is is better on race pace than the Ferrari. And the thing to remember about that is he is also a test driver for Mercedes. And he may be giving away the game a little bit here because Mm. Mercedes didn't do any race simulations. They did some long runs, but they didn't do any real race simulations, which is one thing that made it really hard to compare across. The other thing to understand about why everyone's getting so concerned about setting up for the races is, remember, we're not changing tires. 
we're starting to run into problems with overheating the tires because the cars are going so much faster. So is going to be even more important that you have a very stable and consistent platform the drivers can easily navigate through corners so they don't overheat them because they're going to overheat easier this season than last. So I wonder if one of the reasons that Mercedes didn't do race simulations like come in, change to pits, go out again, is because they don't like running on low fuel in testing. And so to do a race simulation, you necessarily have to run on low fuel. It could be that. It could be that they feel that it's a strong point and they don't want to give it away. It could be that their aero tools have let them down and the engineers just put their foot down and said, we need you to run with this much fuel within these parameters so that we can fix these systems once and for all. Brilliant, I mean, you know. brilliant question from Maria in the live chat. And hello to our patron live chat. If you're watching on YouTube, uh, we do do the live chat uh, with our patrons as part of our Slack group. So if you want to support us at patreon.com forward slash Mr. Apex, that's one of the reasons uh, to, to join is to get involved in the, the Slack group. Also, you get an ad free feed and we do a bit of extra content on, um, on a Friday before races a lot of the time. Oh, oh, good reminder. The first two races are on a Saturday. Don't get fooled. Don't miss out. That means free practice one is on Thursday through free practice one and two. And then qualifying is on Friday evening for UK viewers for the Bahrain Grand Prix. And then the race, I think, is at 3 p.m. on Saturday. And then it's the same for for Saudi Arabia as well. And then back into Sunday for Australia. So uh, Maria was asking there, aren't long runs race simulations? That's a brilliant question. There is a difference. You can put on a, a tyre, choose your fuel load, go and do your run. And then that's your data for that stint. Or you can say, right, we're going to start on a softer tyre. We're going to come in, change tyres, go back out, do another stint, come back in, go to the harder tyre to finish off our, our race run. So the, the race simulation is treating it like a Sunday race day. A stint is just, we'll take that one block of data from a stint on a tyre. Sorry, Antonio, and then Catman. Yeah, one thing just about optimism on the Mercedes front. It does seem that a lot of the teams in testing have focused on what they found crappy last year and one of the big ones that Mercedes have changed about their car going into 2024 is their rear suspension so both of the drivers have at length complained about the rear end of the car how it's not responsive how it just doesn't work for them they've called it a diva they've called it pretty much every bad name under the sun actually the car was not very popular the last couple of years but what they've done is they've changed it to a pushrod suspension which aerodynamically is a lot more favorable. It means that there's cleaner air around that suspension and it should mean that the rear end of the car performs a lot better and hopefully a lot more responsively the way that the drivers would want it to. And what that hopefully would mean for Mercedes is, is that around the corners where typically they obviously lose a lot of time to a team like Ferrari, bringing that to the table should mean that they're a lot tighter in the fight this season. Yeah, they've seemed kind of low-key happy about the baseline performance of the car and the fact that it is more stable through the corner. Although, you know, going back to what we were saying earlier on about watching the cars through the corners, we were, I was seeing a, a little bit of unsteadiness, particularly at corner entry. It seems quite pointy. And then they're having a bit of a, a difficulty getting the power down early enough on the exit because of it. So they've still got some problems to iron out there. But you know, it's a new concept. They've moved away finally from the, the the concept of the last couple of years that just wasn't working for them. So they've got a place to build from. And the team themselves have said that, you know, they, they might be able to develop through the year quicker than their rivals because they've, they're at an earlier stage of development with this philosophy. 
So one thing you have to be careful about when talking about the characteristics of the car, especially in Bahrain, is depending on wind direction, you get really vastly different car characteristics. Like the wind I'm thinking of, if it's a tailwind like into turn 11, you get massive understeer. If it's coming the other way, the car can be really, really sharp. But what George Russell said after all the testing was done was that he felt like he had a car that he could attack the entry with for the first time in this entire set of regulations. And the other thing is that the Allison interview, oh, yes, he was, he wasn't just happy with the performance. The man was giddy. He, he was, was practically yeah, 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 giggling yeah. with how happy he was with whatever he'd seen that day. And that could just be who knows what, but it seemed pretty ominous to me. If, especially if you're a Mercedes fan, you're, you're going to be feeling pretty good about your chances going into the season. I mean, he's a very reserved, very typically English, England, English guy. And yeah, you could see him buzzing and the, the, yeah, we're all right at the end when he was talking specifically about running on track with Ferrari and McLaren at the same time on similar stints. And I, I think I was actually watching those stints on the live timing. And even though, you know, there's very similar times and you could say, you could look at that and go, or maybe Ferrari's race paces were stronger overall. Allison knows how much fuel was in the car, what engine mode they were in. Um, and, and also they might not be specifically running for the Bahrain Grand Prix. You could be testing any downforce package. They could have gone there with a very neutral aero package and used that as their test bed. You know, they don't have to go with a specific uh, setup for a rear limited Bahrain track. Uh, Antonio. And that is really important to remember as spectators, you know, on surface level, Carlos Sainz having set the fastest time in testing, he was on a tyre that isn't available at the Bahrain Grand Prix. So that's all very well and good. But that kind of performance will not transfer to every single race. So when you look at the data and you're trying to make judgments, you do have to bear in mind that first and foremost, this is a playing ground for the teams. You know, they're not always going to be testing the exact format, the exact setup, the exact engine mode that we're going to be seeing in the races. Right. So Austin says, I think fairly, are we supposed to trust Merck looking goody, giddy in the preseason now? Now, this is a really interesting point when it comes to vibes, because last season you could essentially see a court martial in real time. And you could see that Mike Elliott was the only person facing the cameras from from Mercedes. They're like, you go, you go explain this. And, and Wolf was not hiding it. He was angry about the car. Something had gone wrong and you knew it had gone wrong straight away. Now, Alison, he's, when he's giddy, I think he's giddy in the, in the, we've made progress. This car, this concept is working. He has said he thinks that Red Bull are fierce and Red Bull are ahead, but then they've got the platform to build on. So I, I am going to go from, you know, the, I'm going to interpret his happiness with, we have something to go and fight with at least. And you have to remember the last two years hasn't been James Allison. So he went off to do other projects, I think have a little bit more more time. And they brought in someone else for two years who stuck with it, who had the zero pod concept, then doubled down on it the next year, and then was ultimately promoted out of the way and then quietly said goodbye to. This is not Mike Elliott's Mercedes. This is James Allison's Mercedes again. And I'm going to allow myself, like like buying a lottery ticket, you know, maybe I'm not going to win, but I get the week to have the ticket in my hand and I, I might be happy come Saturday. So I'm allowing myself some optimism that in, in my mind, Mercedes are coming out. They're, they're going to be uh, ahead of Ferrari and they're going to have a decent package 
to build on through the year. And, and I have to say, Mercedes are good at developing in season. Red Bull are great at developing in season. Mercedes are very, very good as well at developing in season. So I, I think we could have something uh, of a fight on our hands. Too optimistic, Ranko? Too optimistic? No, no, good. no, I don't think it is. I think we all know that Mercedes aren't afraid of, of putting their hands up and saying, our car sucks. Sorry, guys. Yeah. You know, they've done it <laughs> yes. the last yeah. couple of years. I, I mean, after Wolf 2021, especially. they came into testing 2022 and went, yeah, sorry, guys, the car sucks. And we went, oh, sandbagging. Stop it, you guys. We know <laughs> you're going to come and blow out the park. And then they just didn't. And honestly, if you'd been struggling for two years with a really cripe car that is really just not where you want it to be and it finally has some simmer of hope you're gonna go oh great you know you know this could actually be okay because of course you would mm. they, they will want to do well as much as we want to see them do well and on the development front yeah there are some teams who will start the season stronger than they end up i mean aston martin aston, last yeah. year <laughs> but that's what Where that unit that that's what that unit's always done so even as force india even as racing point they've always yeah, been like exactly. that exactly and there's some teams like like mclaren who really over the course of the season last year stepped up their game so it's not going to be the at the start of the season the way it is at the end of the season and that's really important to remember but let let don't take everything at, at face value no but let them have their moment of oh actually this is okay and we can kind of believe them so if i'm going to rain a little bit on this parade just Ooh. a tiny bit if i play a breaker then he can't no okay fine have you got a boo but... sound effect <laughs> i haven't i uh, know but i uh, we, well, let's make let's ridicule his comments with jazz so <laughs> and now just put him on mute <laughs> And let yeah. him talk. Well, I do that myself anyway, often. Um, now, uh, the, the only point I will make is about the development. Yes, Mercedes is quite good at development, but don't forget they brought a brand new chassis and a brand new gearbox casing, which traditionally teams flip-flop those for cost reasons. So they may be a little more resource limited across a season than a team like Ferrari. But on the bright side, they brought a front wing that Allison said, I'm sure someone thought of it, but they brought a front wing no one else has tried, and they seem to like it. And they brought a movable rear mount suspension point for the front suspension wishbone, upper wishbone, which is, again, this is like DOS levels of, oh, that's really clever. And I'm sure there's a weight penalty attached to it. But they seem pretty happy when they ran it on the third day. All right, so, right, this suspension-y thing. So this is, is this to do with what happens when you hit the brake and then the car kind of, all the weight goes to the front and then so then your aero profile changes. So now they can adjust it during the course of a weekend, which I guess is something that you wouldn't be able to do normally. Um, I would guess it's more a thing where there will be certain tracks where they think one configuration would be more advantageous than the other rather than something they would change during a weekend. Although I suppose they could if they felt like they had to. And it will change the aerodynamic stability of the platform, both longitudinally and laterally, and will also change, uh, therefore, the feel that the driver will have and potentially some mechanical characteristics, depending upon how the rest of the suspension is set up, like the dampers and stuff like that. All right. Well, I think I've deluded myself about uh, Mercedes Hope's for for long enough and in a way i'm kind of like oh no what if what if mercedes are really good this year and ferrari are rubbish and then hamilton's got a, like i don't know let's say even if he wins the championship he's then got to walk across to ferrari for 
for misery. And I, I can't get out of my head that going to Ferrari equals misery. But I can't imagine what Ferrari fans go through every single year. Like, Antonio's been going on about the the lack of tyre deg, which will be giving hope to Ferrari fans. But, I mean, bless them, you allow yourselves, you tifosi, they allow themselves to fill their hearts with hope. And then they take it pretty well when the inevitable comes around. Look, we're, we're trying our best as as Ferrari fans. And I, I, I really do speak for, I think... Will Buxton referred to Ferrari as a religion in Italy, but I think it's not a religion so much as a mindset. You know, you wake up in the morning, you think, oh, they could be okay. This could be an all right day. And then, you know, over the course of the day, you slowly lose optimism. But as with Mercedes, as with McLaren, any of the other teams, how they look is just going to be relative to their direct competitors. They could have a very strong car. Any, you know, any of Ferrari, McLaren, Mercedes, we won't know. Realistically, we will not know until they are out on this track at Bahrain. And then even then, we'll all come out with the, oh, but we won't really know until about <laughs> five true. races into the season. But that is true. That is true. And that's something that annoys me at the beginning of the, the season is, is people do make conclusions. Remember 2022, People were talking about, would the Ferrari dominance be boring? Like People were genuinely, they'd written off the series as, oh, Leclerc's going to walk this, it's going to be dull. But you have to bear in mind the ebb and flow of the season. And those first four or five races is just the initial landing. Yeah, that's just the beachhead. The battle is is beyond that. And I think some of you will remember last season, me getting very upset about the optimism around Aston Martin. Because it, cause it, cause it, to me, it felt obvious that this is the pattern that that team does and that it was going to fade away. Where are my flowers and chocolates for calling that one right? I've received none. And that's on everyone listening. That's on you for not sending them to my house. It's the Shed Essex CO Shed 1-2 Shed. Matt. And had nothing at all to do with the technical directive or... Oh, that's so interesting. We'll get to Aston Martin properly. We'll get to Aston Martin properly. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just... I, I, I would say even like... For example, Carlos signs long run where there's like no degradation. His third step looks amazing, kind of like the Verstappen thing. Well, they all look like that. But bear in mind, none of these cars, this is just like a word of caution. This is like the grain of salt here. None of those cars was running in actual traffic in a race, like a second behind the car in front of them in dirty air. So a lot of what you you could say, oh, Ferrari looks like they've improved their tire deg. That's reasonable. Saying that they will have no tire deg in a race, that's just You've just completely overshot the mark at that point. What I would like to see, though, is I would love to see them not have any tyre deg because it it, it would be good for for one of those two teams, Ferrari, that we're talking about here, Ferrari and Mercedes, to be up there pushing Red Bull, at least, as Catman says, in in the pit stop window. That would be great. But I would love to see Ferrari in a race, holding it, not having tyre deg on a normal wearing circuit, just to kind of prove that it's not the driver's. Because the drivers at the moment, it looks like they can't string a Sunday together. We know it's not the drivers. Mm. The dri- it, the drivers' own worst enemy is their team, which is going back to what you said earlier. Like, you know, I understand Lewis wanting to go to Ferrari because you know what? It's Ferrari. 
Has he not seen Charles Leclerc coming out of the car with tears in his eyes every single weekend? <laughs> Zavi acts like the main antagonist in the story and he's he's Charles' pit wall engineer. It's like living with an evil stepmother for Charles. And honestly, I bet he's wishing that in his contract exit clause, there wasn't that phrase where you can't bring Bono with you. He'll be dragging Bono, kicking and screaming whether Mercedes like it or not because Ferrari needs serious reform we know it's not the drivers we know well i don't want to disillusion you there antonio but i did hear that the main reason hamilton wanted to go to ferrari was so he could drop a single with leclerc a cover of everybody hurts everybody shush i saw that you've stolen that from i I heard that somewhere else you've stolen that without credit matthew king of pain fine i would never steal jokes without giving credit Shut up, patron. It was interesting. <laughs> Somebody made it. It was very good. Yeah. Right. Okay. So let's move away from those those front three then. And uh, let's move down because uh, a lot of people had uh, McLaren as, as being a shoe-in to be the second strongest team. And at the moment, nobody seems to be saying that. I'm not seeing anybody guessing that McLaren are, are up there in P2. Uh, let's see. Uh, who who looks sad? Norris looked very sad. Piastri just looked, exa- he's only got one gear, hasn't he? He just looked exactly like like Piastri bot. <laughs> so, uh, no, he's got a very dry sense of humour. So as you can see, he, he's very level. He's very kind of, you know, one note. That's his thing. Um, Zach Brown is animated and angry. And uh, Catman, you're our resident McLaren fan. Not that you're, you're not alone. But, uh, you know, in our patron Slack group, I actually think that McLaren is the most supported team yeah, among our patrons. Uh, but Zach Brown didn't look happy. He's picking fights about insert sponsor name here rb so i don't i don't think he'd be bothered where toro visa cash towery is if he thought he was up there in p2 he's worried that visa cash up are, are gonna overtake him yeah that's the really worrying thing for us is as a as sports fans i think is that norris in the second half of last season was the highest scorer of everybody but max and McLaren looked to be on that trajectory to go and, and challenge, but it just hasn't surfaced this time around. And what was the most worrying things I'm sure Matt will, will allude to more is actually the long run pace for McLaren or rather the, the tire deg that they were on with the, the Piastri long run was, was a little bit disastrous, to be honest with you. I know that might be, you could caveat that and say that Piastri last year his main weakness was tire management on long runs and you might find that in the hands of Norris that might be um, slightly better but even he isn't looking like he's wanting to challenge and as we alluded to earlier on he's not even mentioning McLaren in the same breath at the moment as Ferrari or Mercedes as you said they're, they're looking backwards towards RB and Aston Martin even. Absolutely. And Zach Brown being so critical. To be honest, I am surprised that he's one of the only ones being critical of that because I can understand why as a TP, you wouldn't be so fond of, you know, your opponent suddenly doubling up on you. Mm. But I want it so badly, man. I want to, <laughs> I, I want McLaren no, no. to do well so bad. Yeah. They've got two world champions. They really do. I mean, Lando Norris, absolutely exceptional. Oscar Piastri, it's so easy to forget that he was a rookie. He was incredible. So oh, talented. On a Saturday, so he was good. <laughs> he was so switched on. And I know that their development over the course of last season was frankly extraordinary. But wh- why would it be so hard for them to come out of the gate strong? You know, 
hopefully that will come across sooner this season now that they're on that path. But my oh, I want it so bad. I want it. I want it so badly for them. I love McLaren. I think they had possibly for where they are the worst testing of any team. The only team that ran fewer laps than them, Williams. Yeah. And and Norris looked like you know like when your parents lead you to believe you're going to get that special <laughs> present, and then they go and it's sold out and they can't get it. So you get some other sadder thing with a note saying "Promise we'll get you the big thing oh, you really no. wanted later," or they just draw a picture of it, take a picture of it. Yay! You're going to get this like in six months when it's in stock and everyone, no one but you will have it to play with because they'll have already played with it and given are you, up on are it. Are you saying Zach Brown saying no, no, we've got race pace at home and ah, oh, I want it saying. I wanted testing race pace. (laughs) Another year and they haven't shown up with the toys they're supposed to have at testing. And I think the drivers got led down the garden path. I got led down the garden path. But the question is, if they show up with the toys, will they be in the same place as they were at the end of last season? We don't know the answer to that. And so I think it's fair if you're a McLaren fan to hold out some hope. But once again, you're going to be starting the season kind of you know, with last year's notebook and an old backpack that's kind of beat up and been sewed back together. And that's, that's the thing, isn't it? With all of these promises that Zach Brown has made with coming in, you know, vocally all guns blazing performance wise, that, that hasn't been reflected. They've with the drivers that they've got, they're going to have some serious questions to answer. If these two drivers are sat wasting away in a midfield car, because they are, they have talent going to waste at the moment. It's not new. How much talent has McLaren wasted over the last 10 years? Jensen being, Button, Alonso, forgiving. you know, um, uh, Magnussen, uh, Perez. Ricardo. Okay. Yeah, Ricardo, Ricardo exactly. Norris. Wasting away. Van Dor- Oh my goodness. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's been, yeah, it's been a bit of a, a bit of a shocking. Yeah. It's been, it's been shocking because we, we are used to McLaren being, you know, a top, 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 top team. So I've got a bit of a theory about last season. So you guys know that I, I think that being the second fastest car towards the end of last season flattered them a little bit. They were developing this concept while more or less Mercedes Ferrari had kind of given up. Uh, Aston Martin were, politely told to change their front wing so there was a bit of an open goal in front of zach brown now i'm not one to take drive to survive as as gospel it's a very well put together show but like any documentary you know you kind of decide on a narrative and then oh no look that penguin is gonna die from the killer whale you could have saved the penguin at any time david right but so the documentary's obviously got its storylines that it's running and it was interesting though how much pressure zach brown was uh perceived to have been put on at the beginning of the season when they came out behind schedule they didn't have their concept ready it was awful you know they showed him with the with google representative and uh, other sponsor representatives you know talking about you know this is bad you know this is one of our biggest investments and we're not getting anything out of it we're not getting race wins you know we're taking this gamble with you this is our biggest sponsorship and then zach brown suddenly presented with a little bit of an open goal because you could say okay this season's going bad Let's refocus on uh, the, the 2024 concepts. But he doesn't do that because he sees in front of him, oh, Aston Martin are fading away. McLaren and Ferrari seem to have given up on this concept immediately, the ones that they've got in 2023. Let's go and get some wins. Let's go and get some podiums. Let's go and get ourselves some airtime. And I believe that by doing that, he possibly knowingly sacrificed 2024 to get his sponsors and his bosses to be happy with him. 
I think, I don't want to use the word grift because that's a little unfair, but Zach Brown is, before anything else, is a businessman. He's a commercial guy and he made the decision that made the most commercial sense and that solved that problem. And here's the problem in, in business and in keeping your job and that kind of pressure is you solve the problem that's ahead of you. So 2023, he was able to solve that problem. How much of 2024 did he sacrifice doing that? Because now he saved his job. The sponsors are happy for a bit, even if they turn up P4. P4 is a pretty good place for McLaren to be. But the McLaren fans are going to be disappointed because they were P2 in their mind last season. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Has he saved his job, though? Well, Has I'm not sure. Brown saved his job. I don't. I don't know. He's he's got a lot again. Like I said, a lot to answer for. And like like you said, in the mind of the fans, they're the second fastest car on the grid as of the end of last season. Yeah, oh, yeah. In McLaren fans' mind, if they had that pace for the rest of the season, there would have been two McLaren drivers on the podium at pretty much every single race last year. And this season, if they're coming in with as limp of a testing as they've had, with as little promise as they've had, Zach Brown's going to have a lot of people going, well, where's my investment gone? We've had all of these promises of a strong 2024 and you're telling me we aren't even starting on the right foot? It's, it's really poor. Right. So I hate to bring this up, but in November, December of 22, McLaren was already saying, We've changed concept and we won't have our car ready till around Silverstone. And that was the car they intended to bring to testing. And that car was the one that was immediately fast and immediately competitive, where I think Spanners absolutely might have nailed it. I don't know for sure, is seeing that open goal. Did he decide to commit a lot more resource to pushing to the end of the season, which might then explain why the drivers didn't get their toys for testing day like they were promised. And they're going to have to wait until dad gets a few more oh, paychecks no. in the bank before they get the fancy thing that they oh, wanted. So as far as him losing his job, eh. now he's great with sponsors. And, and, and I think if I'm a sponsor, I'm super happy with, with, with the exposure I'm getting from McLaren. Yeah, he's brought them back from the brink of disaster and now that they're they're doing much better. Last year's testing was terrible. 
they they showed good pace in the in the uh, in the end of the season they're going to suffer a little bit hopefully they can show that same development rate that they did last year but there is going to be coming back from a a reasonable way back and and they'll have lost points by that point so we'll see p4 sounds reasonable for mclaren i think this year but p4 doesn't sound reasonable to lando norris or oscar piastri or to the fans of mclaren how long can you keep two drivers like lando norris especially lando he's been there a good few years now and how long we've got a good starting point here right it's the start of the season how many races Will Lando Norris stay patient and say, it's coming, it's coming, before he goes, I want that exit clause of my contract now. My career's wasting away. That's why Lando Norris looks so upset. That's why he looks so upset. He's been promised to earth to sign that new contract. The Mercedes seat is now out of his reach because he's got that contract and he's seen what's happened at testing. (gasps) The plot thickens. Yes. Sorry, Christopher. The plot been thick. Yeah, it's super it's thick. thick. It's, and, but it's no, but that's seriously what it is. Lando Norris, no doubt, coming to the end of his McLaren contract, had so many teams after him. Mm. I mean, look at him as a driver. And he he stood so strong in saying, I've got a great relationship with McLaren. I've been with them. I want to stay with them. I want to win with them. Because his relationship, particularly with Zach, is incredibly strong. But he's a future world champion. And if that's not going to happen at McLaren he will be leaving, full stop. And if he leaves, that's a problem for sponsors because Lando Norris is one of the most marketable drivers and characters um, in the sport. All right, well, let's hope we're wrong. (laughs) Sorry, McLaren fans. Even I think even people who were super optimistic, though, going into the season are less optimistic after testing. But it's only testing. You can't learn anything from testing except for all these definitive truths we're doing on this show uh we are over an hour in and since we don't like to stray over an hour on mr apex podcast ever we're gonna have to fit quite a lot into the next 30 seconds matt so uh aston martin uh (laughs) you touched on the front wing there I'd, i'd sort of forgotten about that a little bit so we don't know for sure but there was a technical directive that seemed to kind of coincide with them no longer being able to perform up at the front. But in, in any case, I wouldn't have put money on their, their development through the season compared to the likes of um, you know, Ferrari, McLaren and Mercedes. Their drivers look glum as well. So Sky Sports, by the way, did a great job with those interviews. They were asking exactly the right questions to try and tease out how the drivers feel. And they said to Alonso, are you going to be on the podium? And he's like, no. And it's not realistic. And then they said to Stroll, you know, is the car better? And Stroll said he paused for ages because PR wise, it would be wrong to say no. But it was very clear to me that he thinks the car isn't better than last year. So that's where Aston Martin are at, Matt. And I think a lot of people will be very disappointed. Yeah, myself included. It's, It's pretty easy if you've built your entire concept around something that gets taken away mid season to understand, much like Mercedes in their Franken car why you would fall down the order and then not be able to solve your problem. But if you have the whole off season and a chance to solve the problem and you show up and you've essentially not made progress and they're not one of these teams who brought brand new designs. So you could say like Williams, while they changed a whole bunch of old problems for new problems, they did none of this and they're at a track that they tend to look good at anyway. So I would put them probably you know, around where they were finishing at the end of last season, which is occasionally you might see them up around sixth or fifth in the hands of an Alonzo or a stroll on a particular track. 
But for the most part, they're going to be scrabbling for eighth, ninth, 10 points and just, you know, hoping that that uh, hoping that the fact that Lance is Lawrence's son keeps everybody out of too much hot water, I suppose. Absolutely. And I, I do think that Aston have kind of fallen into a gap here because they've fallen. I think they've dropped further back from that accelerating group ahead of them. Um, McLaren accepted, of course. Um, but I don't think anybody behind them has really slotted in with them. So they might have some quite lonely races. Alonso might be watching the TV as he drives around a bit more this season than he even was last year. RB might be close enough, but I don't think they're going to be able to provide a, a consistent challenge. And, and Aston just kind of, uh, I, so I say, Alonso, as you rightly said, will be getting the tail end of the points. What it does in Stroll's hands, no idea, but we'll soon find out, I suppose. Yeah, I don't know if it hasn't come along a lot since last year. I mean, by the end of last year, at least, it was a pretty bang midfield car, especially given that they failed to keep up with the competition in terms of performance upgrades. So if they have genuinely come in with a car that's just okay or as good as it was by the end of last year, I wouldn't be surprised to see them quite near the bottom of the order. And I mean, we've heard very bad reports from Alpine. I wouldn't be surprised to see them having a couple of battles towards the lower half of the midfield. But again, Aston are a team I'd love to see do well. Lando said it, and I think every driver has said it, everyone wants to see Alonso win a race. No, Everyone th- would think it would be the best thing ever. It would be so cool. And it was really mm. nice to see them on podiums. No, I like Fernando Alonso, but I also but... don't wish him success. <laughs> it's so weird. I think I'm an Alonso fan, yet I don't wish him success. I, I, I really don't know how You're my Alonso You're fandom works. I'm sort I, of... think everybody, I think everybody who didn't see him win a race in his first race in his first career maybe wants to see him win one i think everybody like like us who was around then maybe right. not so I, keen. I was too okay, okay fair enough so, I, I tell oh, you this is how much sorry, no. this is how conflicted i am on this i do think i'm a fernando alonso fan but in 2012 when it was a, a choice between vettel winning his third and alonso winning his third to match Ayrton senna i was i was wishing for alonso not to win and i go why did why did I not want Alonso to win that? I don't understand it really, but it, it would be good for, um, I think it would be good for F1 to have a personality like him on the top step, uh, winning. It's a, it's a great story. And if if he does that, it means Aston Martin are competitive. I just, I fear that, that they're not going to meet their own expectations. And then uh, Papa Stroll is going to be unhappy. His big face is going to turn red. That's a great Papa Stroll impression. Come on, no, that's good. My son, he's in the car. He's got a big head like me. We had a special helmet made. I know that sounds exactly like him. It's like a tape recording. Uh, the DTS episode was very telling. Is that my phone? No, let's blame someone else. Uh, the DTS episode was really, really telling. I they, they were episode one, front and centre, was basically about Lawrence Stroll. Not even really about Lance Stroll. It was about Lawrence Stroll and how important he is and how brilliant he is. And there was this whole scene where Toto Wolf comes in and he's got to wear a wristband. And uh, they say to him, you've got to wear a wristband. And he quite rightly is sort of questioning it, going, really? I've got to wear a wristband? I'm, I'm Toto Wolf. Literally everyone knows who I am. No, no, no. You must wear a wristband. So he goes, OK, that's fine. And then the next shot they're discussing, of course, no wristband for Mr. Stroll. Oh, no, 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 Mr. Stroll. He's so important. Why would you make someone with such an important large face wear a wristband? Of course not. And they, they did this whole thing about how everyone feared the path. Mr. Stroll is coming. Make sure the petals are 
sprinkled on the floor. That was hilarious. I don't know, Matt. I just I feel like if if they if you told me money had changed hands for that episode, I wouldn't be surprised at all. I honestly thought we were watching a sequel to Succession. Oh, it did come across like that. It, it, and I was like, oh, wait, what's what's happened? Have they has the Roy family been successful without their and then I realized it was Stroll and I was like, oh wow. That's an interesting foot to want to put forward to the world. I just wonder whether the cost for that episode comes out of Aston Martin's cost cap. Or not. <laughs> no, can, I think that definitely marketing. Can, that counts no. as marketing and PR. <laughs> uh, it was really interesting. It would be interesting to see how they react to uh, to a disappointing season. But yeah, Alonso looks glum. And then when you, you talk about Mercedes twenty twenty five, he's definitely making noises that he's going to be suitable for that. You know, he did this whole thing of like, no one even asked, like no one was saying anything to him. And then he went, I'm loyal to Aston Martin, by the way. They would be the first team I spoke to for 2025. And now he's saying I'm in a really strong position in, in the driver market. So he's definitely angling for a Mercedes drive there. And I think the vibe, if we're going on a vibe check, the vibe check from Aston Martin doesn't look good. I think there's, I don't know if I want to cover all the rest of the teams because the, what has have a car. I mean, even, like, why talk about Haas when even they are basically saying, don't, don't, don't mind us, please, please, please. I have to tell you why I thought they won testing. It's purely oh, because yes. they ran the most number of laps. That's the only reason why I thought they did. <laughs> Interestingly, though, they do have their new team principal, Io, uh, instead of Gunter Steiner. And I think there's some optimism that that's changed the atmosphere in the team to a more, um, shall we say, logical engineering approach, less um, kind of fear of coming out with what's wrong and being able to then approach that in a methodical way to make things good. So I I think they're on the right track, but it's going to be a long way behind the others on that right track. I think it marks a culture change at Haas and a real change in direction for their management and for the way that the team is run from top to bottom. They've gone from the very traditional Gunter Steiner who is more than happy to shout at people, more than happy to bark mean. orders. Where And they did touch on this in DTS compared to someone who is more experienced in the engineering tech side of things, like, for example, James Valls at Williams. It really does offer a very useful standpoint to have someone who is so knowledgeable about this kind of thing, who can step in on every single level and manage knowledgeably rather than just being a figurehead for the team. And that kind of direct involvement and being intrinsically woven into every single aspect of the team, I think is really going to help them over the next season. I don't think it's going to help at all. I think they are the candidates for plum. Depending on what Alpine do, they could plumb last. Uh, So three interesting things. Interesting thing number one, they have said that they're more interested in race pace than qualifying this season, and they feel like they've made progress on tire deck. that thing dropped like a stone on a Sunday, didn't it, in 23? Yeah, and that was a huge problem. Interesting thing number two is it it was also said that they now have a leader uh, um, where the engineers can't pull the wool over his yes. eyes. Okay. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. Um, one wonders what might have been going on with Steiner, given that comment. And number three is there's still a team that has a lot of issues to solve. Whether or not they're able to solve them and whether or not they get the resource to solve them remains to be seen. And you've brought up Alpine. Should I just segue? Yeah, right let's to just them? go straight out because I think we're in the bottom five now. I think pretty much everyone agrees that it's Aston Martin, Mercedes, McLaren, 
Red Bull, Ferrari. That's your top five. And now we're talking, you know, this is we're in the bottom half now. And Alpine, I think I've got no chance of breaking into that top five from what we've heard. What was it? The list is horrible. So the the there's talk of engineers like in open rebellion looking to leave. There's Alpine team members liking tweets online that are mocking the the Al, you know Alpine as an outfit. They're overweight. They're inefficient. They're not good on the tires. But apart from that, it's five year plan. Five year plan. Five year plan may reset at any time. Catman, can I make a really bold prediction and say the Alpine pull the plug at the end of this year and Ooh. sell to Andretti? Yeah. They, they, what have they got? They were in fourth in 2022. They were in sixth in 23. It's looking terrible for this year. Don't forget last year, they sold a quarter of the team already to the Otro Capital group with people like Ryan Reynolds. And for those who are watching the Super Bowl, people uh, like Pat Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, all those you know celebrities, they've sold out to them. They're not going to be able to do a, a, a Wrexham with Alpine. There's just not that sort of sport. So... I think that the the board are going to get increasingly fed up of this and and want to sell the rest of their shares. And I just don't think there'll be that lovely blue car in it next year. There's already not much blue on it this year. I don't think there'll be any next year. Can I just say, like, what was so telling to me, right? I'll I'll just take this for the record. This is my first year ever watching Drive to Survive, like as it oh. comes out. I've I've never been the biggest fan of it, but I think Box to Box have done a great job of it this season. I think they've plucked drama. It was a fun where, watch. Yeah, it, yeah, it was a, it was a, a good watch. You know, kudos. I'd never really committed to it before. It was a good watch, but there were two dedicated episodes to Alpine. Do you know what kind of level of drawing blood from a stone that is? <laughs> yeah, like. <laughs> what i was watching it and i went okay cool like a little bit of internal drama between sd bestie and gasly okay cool i can and then all of a sudden there's another one say lovey off zafnauer goes the, the the team is in trouble i completely agree i think it is a bold prediction to see them out of the sport by the end of the year but the fact that dts felt the need to make two whole alpine episodes there must be more going on than we realize because from our perspective they're a pretty nothing team yeah, it's rats on a sinking ship, isn't it? Everybody seems to be departing, apart from Netflix, who are there to document the the downfall. It would it would be nice to say that they would stick at it, but I, I really don't. If it's not at the end of this year, it will be when the rules change in twenty six. They'll they'll be long gone. Yeah, well, the thing is, when when Renault left and and replaced it with, you know, I can't believe it's not Renault. That was always a sign of you know the commitment not being there, and it always felt like it was Cyril Abedable. That was the one, you know, pushing this. I've got this five-year plan, and then when they realised that's not really going to happen, they go, oh, "Well, it wasn't really Renault, and this game's rubbish, and we weren't trying, and it's Alpine actually." So, I've, I've questioned their their commitment, you know, as as an organisation to the sport for for a while now. One of the key, the saddest things about it is the law of the works team and what it's done to drivers. So, Ricardo took his forty million euro to go there and try and do a Hamilton. Everyone wanted to do a Hamilton, didn't they? You know, that, that 2013 move to Mercedes. So that didn't work out too well for Ricardo. And then Gasly has obviously looked at the Red Bull future and gone, I'm better off switching sides. He might end up down in the bottom quarter of the pack this season, watching Sonoda and Ricardo fight for what looks to be quite an open seat in 2025 for, for Red Bull. So that's, that's a sad thing for me, um, Matt. And also, obviously, Ocon's your favourite driver. 
So you're going to be, we're going to get a lot more insight into the lower midfield this season, aren't we, Matt, from you? Well, I mean, depending upon where they're fighting and how interesting it all is. Yeah, but I, I want to bring up a few things how on our way out the door here. A few small things. Uh, one rumor that I have heard, and it is a rumor, it's not official, is that a certain former Mercedes engineer might be headed their direction. And that would be Mike Elliott, who, yes, you can blame him for the zero pods. I do. But he also has a long history of being a very, very good engineer at Mercedes. So that's not a nothing burger. But the most interesting thing, and I just saw it today on Twitter, was that someone had a picture of the Alpine with the engine cover off and wouldn't you know it, Hamsters. they have entirely redone their cooling and they could be running a much larger undercut. And in fact, the person doing this was doing sort of that visual analysis thing and said, basically, it looks like they almost showed up with last year's rear end of the car. So I wonder if what we're seeing at testing right now, we might be a la McLaren last season, we might be seeing a b-spec version of this car that could be significantly better than what we've seen so far i'm not going to promise it because also the person in charge of the whole team was in charge of the very engine that's turned out to be so sad and weak so like i don't have a lot of hope here but it's there are some signs that things we're not getting the full picture just yet yeah so some hope for for both the alpine fans in the world is that they are a team that doesn't show in testing as well so they are not a team to come out and do glory runs in testing. They they generally will go under the radar and hide a bit of performance, but they're doing a really good job this season. Can I just ask a, a really genuine question, Trumpets? And I think this yeah. is like one that people really genuinely want to know. If Alpine collapse and Ocon mm-hmm. leaves, who will you fanboy over? Who will be I your mean, designated I'll, I'll, driver? He'll quit. I'll I, quit F1. No, I, I have, I have, I have, I have... I have long been a fan of Signs. I've been a fan of Hamilton. You know, um, I frankly I like Leclerc a lot too. He's he comes across so well in 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 interviews. Like he just is a very likable person. Um, and even though Alonso and fans can annoy me greatly, I, I I do as an old. I definitely have like a little warm spot in my heart for him continuing to perform at at the level at which he's performing. It's pretty remarkable as an ex-athlete to see someone that age performing at a at a world championship level like that no to be to be fair like we we've both got a lot of drivers that we like on the on the grid i think so you know if if perez ends up out the door and hamilton retires you know i find myself saying well who do i who do i throw my lot in with and so for example when i was watching the the football game the the nb and nba nfl game NFL. with the chiefs and the Super Bowl. I watched that. I watched the first half of it and then I kind of went I went to bed. But I really got into it for the first half. God, it takes forever. But straight away you go, well, I want to root for one side or the other. So that's sports. So I will always find, you know, something about someone to to hitch my wagon to. It's a little bit of skin in the game, isn't it? It's it's an emotional bet on the sport. Uh, and then you get to feel happy or sad. Um so I bet I just went we're, we're a swifty house. So I had no choice. Yeah. I had to go for the red team. So you give me a chance, yeah. Alvin. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Kevin. I was going to say, yeah. So, so Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes from the uh, the Chiefs own part of Alpine. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Nice. 
There you are. Oh, Albon, you're on Taylor Swift. <laughs> yes, Kels or Kelsey. And Matt, yeah. you're a big Albon fan as well. So I that a big brings Albon us fan. to Williams, maybe, which is a bit more optimistic. A bit more optimistic. Um, I think the thing that I learned most during testing was that actually Logan Sargent and Alex Albon should be in charge of directing Drive to Survive. They're so funny. Yeah, uh, you, Albon's you, very savvy, isn't he, to what's going on and the perceptions of it. And he was actually really good in the commentary box during testing yep. as well. And uh, and he's quite random, you know, he just walks into the, the, the commentary box and says, you know, to Palmer straight away, oh, who, you've been drinking in here. It smells like champagne in here. You know, straight away he's just kicking off, he's unsettling people. And I've not been an Albon fan, but yeah, the combination of DTS and what I saw in testing, I was like, oh, okay. Kids, kids, random. You see the allure. Yeah, yeah, I can see. You, you get it. Um, he's another one who could be making his way through the pipeline up to one of the bigger teams. Now I think he's matured, and it could be his time. You know, well, I, yeah. I'd, I'd like to see that. Yeah, I like the guy, be... but I don't think he's got quite enough. No, uh, to to he's a he's a no. science Gasly level no. driver. God, you're upsetting so many people in that. I know. I love it. Swing. This is where I this is where I live. Oh, yeah. see, there's so many tangents and strings to pull on there because I, I, I think science and Gasly on the same level. If I'm being honest, I would put Gasly right up there. I'm a big Gasly fan. So all right, look, let's have a look because I was expecting him to do a bit better against Ocon. But he's settled into the team now. Let's see how he does driving a shed up against Ocon. Ocon is a reasonable benchmark. I think yep. if you're Gasly, you've got to go there and you've got to beat Ocon this season or your stock is is really, that could be him on his way out of Formula One as well. Uh, signs I do, I do rate very, very highly. Uh, so, but I don't think Albon is in that category. Definitely, he's been in such a safe place with Williams where... You know, he's he's liked, he's obviously in a fun environment, he likes it, he's enjoying his work, he's got a very beatable pay driver teammate, uh, email Matt at MrApex.net. But yeah, so he's uh, it's looking good for him at the moment. I think if you throw him in at the sharp end, I don't think he beats George Russell, for for example, if he gets that Mercedes seat. But he's, you're right, Antonia, his, his, his team, his, peer, his people are putting out all sorts of PR, they're really setting him up to be the the no-brainer option. But w- Williams in general, uh, another drive to survive thing, is they focused in a lot on James Vowles. And I have no doubt that James Vowles is exactly as he was depicted on Drive to Survive. I don't imagine he changed a single thing when the cameras were pointed at him. He is a mega nerd. He seems like a genuinely sweet dude and honest so he, this is what I like. We've been gaslit about Williams a little bit during the Claire Williams part that they were doing everything right. Just that everything's against them, the sports against them. But he walked in, he said, he said, I walked into Williams and everything was worse than I could imagine. And that's where I'm building it back up from. And I'm just glad that someone's finally admitted that Williams were basically, you know, put to ruin. Good, for, good on him. He went in and he's come out publicly and said, this sucked. I'm here to make it suck kind of less. And I genuinely do think that he, if anyone is the person to do that, I think he's got the knowledge, the applied knowledge, which is most important. I mean, he's a statistician at, by trade. Oh, is that his trade? Knows... <laughs> huh? Is that his trade? Is it statistician? I don't, I don't, I don't know. What, what, he, he knows numbers and stuff. Ah, and yeah. that, that's, I, I think coming from the background he's come from with the absolute CV he has, if anyone can do it, it's him. And I do think it's very admirable to come out and go, the team is in a state and we acknowledge that because Williams, especially for so long, was just a sinking ship. 
He does sound a bit, a little bit like every incoming politician coming into number 10 going, oh, yeah, well, the, the mess they last left us in. It's, you know, no wonder I'm no, not doing very well. But I love his, I love his honesty uh, as well. And, uh, you know, with the, the gearbox situation, which I'm, again, Matt can probably give us some more information on where they've kept the, the older gearbox from Mercedes rather than updating to the new one. He said, well, I'd rather be developing my whole car philosophy around the old one for an extra six months than mm. getting a brand new, possibly tiny bit better one and then having to scramble all the rest of the parts around it. So it's, it's a really, as I say, a, a top down technical approach that I really appreciate at Williams. And hopefully that will start to drag them up the grid a little bit. Yeah. Well, speaking further to that, basically what they did is they bought last year's uh, Mercedes gearbox. So they didn't have to change out the pull rod suspension because it was going to be so much resource for them and so much time for them that, that they realize that we get better result out of starting their design process earlier. That's really what it came down to, according to Valve. And it's interesting to hear uh, the drivers. And this is another thing you can see is, did the drivers both agree what the problems were and were the problems anything other than everything about the car? If both of those are true, then you're probably in a good place because you know what you have to try and fix. And uh, with Williams, the drivers were in full agreement with their feedback and they have made a step from last year's car. But the problem for me with Williams is they finished what seventh last year by, by the, by a whisker, but they finished seventh is I think they didn't really have this, the car to finish there. I think, you know, they drew an inside straight when everybody had gone all in and scooped the pot. And I think they brought a car that could probably get up to seventh. But they also have some new problems to solve. And uh, going back to the whole James Vowles thing, they are the least funded, least equipped, and it will take yeah. them the longest to solve those problems. So they're going to really need Sargent to deliver in a way that he didn't last season. Oh, yeah. And he was also, as it turns out, the driver that got the least number of laps in the entire test. Is that not because he ended most of them backwards? Uh, I mean, it was mechanical failures. They had uh, the drive shaft failure on him. Okay. Mm. Yes, we 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 can't blame that on Logan Sargent. So <laughs> they've been saved a little bit by Alpine because I mean, look, we're covering the the bottom half here. Um, I think there's no argument that Haas are going to be right down near the bottom. Alpine looks disastrous. It looks like sixth would be their absolute top. Yep. Top, top, ceiling. top, top, yeah, ceiling to go to as it is now. But that, again, even that, back, yeah. who knows? But, but even that looks optimistic. So at the moment, Williams might be saved from dropping a place from Visa Cash App because of Alpine dropping down. But really, we're still probably realistically looking at those as the bottom three: is is Haas, uh, Sauber F1 team, Kick F1. Oh no, I've got it wrong. Stake F1 team, Kick Sauber. Thank you. Just got to get that rolling off the tongue, and 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 Haas, and then Williams. And then, really, the, I'm not really that interested in in stake, if I'm honest, because that has got. Oh, I mean, it's got such a yes. Mummy and daddy are living together, but they're staying together for the kids, and they both know that they've both got their eye on, like you know, yeah, Maria at the at the petrol station uh, and John in HR. They know where they're moving on to, but even that future relationship is looking shaky, Matt. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, this is the thing. 
is, is, is the one thing you don't want to hear while you're testing is that the team you're turning into might be changing its mind. Yeah, Again. But, but we've seen that. We've seen that. They, I, I, I called it immediately that it seemed like a half, half-assed effort. Com- coming in and buying Sauber doesn't scream big works team coming in. It, it smacks of named sponsorship. And I know you people have been trying to assure me that it's more than that. But it doesn't feel like a lot more than that. And the commitment just changes every five minutes, Christopher. Oh, sorry. Go on. Matt, Matt. Sorry, Matt. Uh, well, no, it, it's okay. Because the thing that's happening here is that these, and this is kind of the thing that we might have had at Mercedes with the new CEO not wanting to spend the money on Hamilton's long-term deal, deal where the CEO that got them into it probably would have. They kicked out the old CEO and the new CEO reportedly not a fan. Well, the number two guy, also responsible for the F1 decision, um, Oliver Hoffman, is now getting kicked out of the company. He might go to um, the team now. I'm just going to call Sauber because I honestly can't remember what they're calling it. But it it doesn't look great when the only other major booster of the F1 project gets kicked out of the corporation. And to make it more complicated, they don't actually own Sauber yet. So your majority stakeholder who's still Finn rousing is probably not super into spending lots of his own money making the team good because he's not going to be owning it much longer he wants to spend as little as possible yeah. but that's not going to help the audi project very much if they're underinvested in for three or four years <sighs> it is just a mad you're right it's yeah. just like the weirdest business thing yeah. i've seen in a long time yeah, I don't know what Audi are expecting, given that they've bought a midfield team that hasn't had much promise of moving forward. They've essentially doing an Alfa Romeo. And what Alfa Romeo did was a, a name sponsorship. Yes, they're saying they're going to put in more than that. But Alfa Romeo was a purely sponsorship deal. And I'm an Alfa fan to my core. And I got absolutely nothing out of their Formula One participation. Absolutely, you know, very little, you know, apart from a couple of shots of Bottas's bottom and his new moustache. So uh, I, I don't really think, I don't know what they're expecting to achieve by buying a midfield team that, yes, back in the glory days with BMW, challenged for a title for a little bit. Mm. Um, but I, I just don't think that, that they're being realistic. And, yeah, I, I, I fully expect them to pull out of their deal as well. I think as evidenced by this conversation, one of the main challenges that Stake is facing over the next season and a half, couple of seasons, because by the end of 2025, it'll be full ice forward to Audi, is just getting people to support them and really root for them. You know, they've come from being a midfield team. They've got this brand new line of, you know, sponsorship, the new social media team, new everything into the team. And what that's done, unfortunately, is erased a lot of the Sauber DNA. As we all know, Sauber's been in F1 a long time. They aren't one of the new teams with no history, no nothing, but there isn't any hint of it. You don't get the feeling that Sauber is integral to F1, which is a shame. So I think over the next couple of years, one of the biggest uphill battles for stake isn't just going to be getting the car into a good place. It's just going to be getting people to go, I really want to see Bottas do well this weekend. I really want Joe to be on the podium because you don't hear anybody saying that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the glory run from Joe, he came fourth in the test, but we all know that that was a low fuel run. (laughs) What I really want to know is when they're going to release this season's livery, because I've only seen the black car with the green Flovis paint on it. I want to know when the actual livery is coming up. (laughs) I like it. I think it's the second best livery on the track. It stands out. 
It's cool. I, I would, I, I would. Um, yeah, that 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 color scheme is very popular in karting. So a lot of drivers have that black with the very bright green. Uh, but I think the, easy to see and know who you you're looking at. Surprisingly, the best looking livery on that track is the Visa Cash App RB livery. It looks. It, oh, the fear was that it was just going to look like the Toro Rosso livery, but it's. But it does. It kind of does. I, it does. Track, the Toro Rosso livery was good. Yeah, it was a good one. Oh, yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. But that said, I, I saw a poll on the Autosport um, live testing chat and they showed the picture of the visa cash app and they said thumbs up if you like it and down if you don't and they got 500 ups and two and a half thousand downs what so i think we're alone in liking that livery oh well i think on track to me that looks it looks like a sporting livery it really looks like a motorsport livery and i you know do you not like it Um, are we in the minority here the thing uh that uh that came across on the drive to survive episodes with the visa cash app rb is that beyond a shadow of a doubt now, we've always thought, you know, oh, the very this. close relationship. Oh my goodness, yeah. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, Christian Horner is team principal of Red Bull and that team. Like there's no, there's no separation in that team whatsoever when it comes to, to management. Yeah, well, th- there's no two ways. I mean, <laughs> Christian Horner went from last season kind of just referring to it slightly as his second team talking about the drivers it is incredibly obvious now especially with the ricardo to red bull pipeline (laughs) that is their b team and they want to close the gap they want red bull at least want to have two teams their a team and their development team up at the front to maximize their opportunity of getting successful drivers through because when we saw liam lawson coming into the car he was saying this is my chance to prove I can drive for Red Bull. Yeah. But you're not driving for Red Bull. You're driving mm. for AlphaTauri. It, it's, it's beyond a shadow of a doubt now. And like Zach Brown said, the ethics of that are questionable. You know, should teams have dual ownership over, you know, maximizing their chances? I kind of think it's kind of cool, though. You know, it is nice, actually, in a way to have like a mid-step between, for example, Formula 2 and Formula 1, where like lawson was saying he wouldn't have otherwise had any opportunity to race in f1 but by being a red bull development driver and academy driver and reserve driver or whatever it is he does he finally did actually have the opportunity to do so so i don't think it's the worst Mm. thing in the world well matt paddy's saying uh, surely this has been the case for ages what they have said two entirely separate entities they've always maintained that um and franz tost being you know he's definitely he's the boss of of alpha towery might be a reason why he was shown the door don't you think yeah because with the with mattishitz being gone and the corporate um the corporate structure of red bull wanting them to make more money this could be the uh, this could have been simply a straight up power grab by horner saying make me ceo of the Red Bull Racing that owns both teams. And then I can tell whoever is team principal at our second team. Exactly and it do, gives yeah. us a huge advantage. And and this is something that Zach Brown pointed out in his article, that because they are the same company, they can move people without gardening leave. So there were two senior Red Bull engineers in December that were at Visa Cash App Grab, insert name here, in January, now I'm making fun of the name a little bit because, uh, uh, sorry, that's just the kind of person I am, but but they have made a serious investment. Generally, this team looks good in testing, doesn't deliver, but they've got all the things in place to actually have made potentially, in terms of 
rankings, ratings, world constructors, points, the biggest step up the ladder. Yeah, they have. They've made the biggest step up step up since uh, testing last year, but they've very, been very careful to point out that it's not a 2023 Red Bull car that's been repainted. And to be fair, the underlying geometry of the front suspension, the rear suspension, the gearbox will be the same. But what you've got is very different aerodynamics. So if you put two pictures side by side, the front wing philosophy is very different. So you've got different airflow going over the body with the squiggly lines that go in different directions. So you're <laughs> going to have, you know, a different philosophy there. The side pods are different. The rear wing end plates are different. So it's not a complete um, copy, but it is a, a very good step up for them. You could argue, actually, you could actually just go well played because it's clearly advan- an advantage having a second team or they wouldn't they wouldn't do it. I'm wondering how much of an advantage that is in in the cost cap era, especially if you don't have to have gardening leave for staff. You know, the, Jasper has said, well, Ferrari and Mercedes-Benz do the same thing. I don't think it's quite the same. Um, their relationship, they clearly have leverage or they had leverage over Force India and certainly the, the Ferrari power teams. You know, they have a, a, a close, you know, we talked about Haas early on. They definitely allegedly had some people swapping shirts, you know, uh, but I don't think it's anything to the same extent. So I think um, you could just say, look, it's been allowed. So well done. They, why didn't everybody else do it? Uh, Why didn't Mercedes snap up Williams when, when they had the chance or are are they, are people complaining now because they, they didn't do it. So there, there could be that, but at least we now know why the name changed. So the FIA have got a, I don't know why the governing body needs a clothing partner, but their clothing partner is now Alpha Tauri. So some money has changed hands in one direction or other. Someone's made money from that partnership, but it would have been a, looked a bit on top to be supplied and have Alpha Tauri when they're a serving team. So I think it's pretty obvious now that that partnership was dreamed up within, between the FIA and Alpha Tauri, who are a clothing brand. And then they go, oh, okay, well, now we need, can't call them Alpha Tauri now. Let's find another name. Let's do like what Stake did and name them after the major sponsor then there's money again. And like I say to the kids, whenever there's something weird happening, you go, huh? Why was that decision made? It's because an individual has made some money out of it. People like you, Catman, captains of industry. <laughs> well, the fact that you had to explain that Alpha Tauri is a clothing brand just shows how you know little renown that clothing brand genuinely has. Yep. So for them to choose that as their partner of <laughs> yeah. a global sport, one of the biggest yeah, yeah, global yeah. sports in the world, yeah. it just screams dodge. Well, it's, it screams that people had their business interests serviced, yeah. doesn't it? So yeah. I'm not saying that's all legitimate. I'm not saying there's any crimes going on. I'm just saying no. now, now we know why there's another weird name on the grid. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of our testing review. And uh, yeah, I'm just I'm sorry that we've sort of spoiled the 2024 season by accurately predicting the entire running order. Barely worth watching now, is it? So look, this is the end of the the show. Normally here, I would say work hard, be kind, have fun. And then we'd go. But over the course of the winter, I've been zoning in on our panel and been doing meet the panel segments. Don't worry if you've missed them. I'm going to do a highlights reel smash cut because there's been some absolute gems. We learned, for example, that Chris Catman Turner here had to go and rescue Chris Stevens, who had a sparrow in his cupboard, but <laughs> didn't know what to do. So Catman, being the kind gent he is, you know, went round and, and did that. We've we heard about uh, Matt um, in, in Hollywood movies. Uh, we, we've heard we heard loads of stuff. You know, uh, uh, all of Kyle's stag do and 
bar game prowess we heard of. But there is one member of Meet the Panel left, and it's our last winter show, and we have the last person that we haven't spoken to on our regular panel. So everybody meet Antonia Rankin. Hello, Antonia. Hi, it's nice to be here for the first time, having not known any of you. No, but we're going to talk to you now about not F1 things. So don't complain that it's not F1. The show, the show's finished, finished. But we're going to talk about you as a, a person and see where you rank on the insa- insaneness of the Missed Apex panellists. I think no one's arguing so far that it's Chris Stevens and uh, Christina Lee Mace are winning at the moment on who came across uh, most insane. So um, you are the the baby of Missed Apex podcast, born in, depressingly born in 2005. Three. Um, two, I'm not oh, that young. Okay. 2003, yet still uh, somehow a fully functioning adult. That is horribly scary to, um, to a lot of us. But uh, I, I know that you have an obsession with throwing ladies in the air. Tell us about that. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. I um, I just like walking up to girls and just just throwing them. them. Yeah, real hobby of mine. Mm. Yeah, no, I um, I'm a uni student, which is really fun balancing career and uni, especially at the moment writing my diss. But at uni, I'm a cheerleader, which you know, just to play into the blonde Essex stereotype. <laughs> For those of you who only listen to the show and don't watch, I am blonde, very Essex. Yes. And I'm I don't have the Essex accent though, which I'm quite proud of myself for. Well, you're North Essex. So when people think oh, okay. of uh, Essex it's and Hertfordshire, really, no, actually. It's yeah. actually technically it's more Suffolk where I am. Yeah, I'm the same <laughs> as you. I try and flag that one as well. Uh, yeah, so you you lean into the cheerleading. Um the cheerleading comes across very it's like light, it's airy, it's very American, it's high energy and it's it's um yeah, I suppose not not serious, but do you know what I mean? Like it, it's sort of it leans into the Americanness of it, of the, yay, everything's brilliant. We love stuff. <laughs> Throw a lady in the air. Woo! Yeah, no, it turns out the ladies are actually quite heavy. Sorry, girls. And um, <laughs> it's actually much more of a sport than I kind of realised. So I, I come from a dance background. I've um, Fun fact about me, actually, the way I kind of became good at doing what I do now, which is like presenting, is because I have a musical theatre background. Oh, well, so I did another one. I did theatre school for like seven eight years you're a an really actor. long time but i've i've danced since i was three so oh. you know little me was in in a tutu for a very oh, long time no. i wish you'd have said you'd have had a great conversations with my, my daughter's really into all that performing arts oh. stage school stuff so next time you can talk to her about that so catman yeah, no, catman is as well I uh, yeah, I am too, and I've uh, danced on stage doing salsa dancing. Believe it or not. Wow, I that's, that's more I really... tasteful than me, to be fair. With Mrs. Catman. So there you go. So, so you've abandoned all of that, though, Antonia, to concentrate on like because because I think of like cheerleading, and it's usually a, a burly gentleman throwing a lady into the air. But because you're long, you are actually like I am the burly gentleman. Yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you're quite you're quite a long human, and yeah. Um, yeah. so that means you can be on the bottom of the pyramid holding people's feet and throwing them in the air yeah I do a lot of throwing which is kind of cool because when I joined uni I did a lot of weightlifting and I did dance and I thought okay cool this kind of mushes them together a little bit except you know the weight is kind of like living and breathing and you can't drop it otherwise it dies (laughs) it's not like shot put at all no no no. no. you really have to try to avoid Mm. that actually because otherwise coach makes you do press-ups and stuff which isn't very fun so yeah, no, we we do competitions every few times a year, which I think there's a real like misconception with cheerleading that it's not very, it's not pro women. You know, I have some people go, oh, Antonia, I thought you were more more advanced in your thinking. Yeah, than that. that's sort Let of what I was trying to get out earlier. Yeah, there's a perception, isn't there? 
yeah, let me tell you, there is nothing girly, non-woman power about cheerleading, right? Us girls throw each other and take it very seriously. You know, we it, it's it, I, I do know that this very much leans into the stereotype, but I think there's something kind of fun about that and just owning it. You know, I really enjoy about myself that I'm quite a girly girl. You know, again, for those of you who don't watch my content and who don't watch the podcast, I like my makeup. I like looking nice. You know, I'm a very I'm a very presenting girly girl. But, you know, on the side, I like to delve into mechanical engineering of Formula One cars. It's it's a fun contrast. And I think Can it's nice have to it kind all. of lean into things, you know? I was just going to jump in briefly to support Antonio when it comes to the athleticism required oh to do the sport. Because my wife worked on a Broadway show that hired a bunch of national level cheerleaders as part of it and they were by far both the most injured and most willing to work while injured performer she had ever seen in her life and she's been a professional on broadway since the 90s so she's seen people go on in all kinds of states it's it's very fierce it's incredibly athletic and uh yeah no i it's terrifying i would never do that high injury <laughs> risk as well it seems like I don't know. I think Sp- Spanners would make a good flyer. Yeah. You know, he's little. Oh. He, I'm sure he'd look very pretty with his, you know, a, a leg next to his head if he could even so imagine such a thing. <laughs> okay. Hey, his I'm... face is screwing up at the thought. <laughs> no, no. I'd, I'll, I'll don a cheerleader outfit and get thrown in the air just for the experience of it. Why not? The oh, older be, you get, the less you bend. That's why he makes that face. Yeah, I, I know. I would, I would crack and snap before I, I bend at the moment. Um, so, yeah, the cheerleading. A high injury risk, though, I, I would imagine. Because oh, yeah. a lot of those maneuvers are just frightening. Yeah, we're in comp season at the moment and there's a lot of injuries, but you have to kind of suck it up and get on with it because we're in competition Rub season. Some dirt in it. Cheer is quite an yeah. expensive sport. So to compete in a competition, you've paid the money. You're going why to the comp when you're injured. Mainly for insurance purposes, oh. I think, <laughs> yeah. because of the injuries. So, you know, for a competition, you have to pay per entry. So if I enter in one category, which is a level two, whatever category, but then you have to pay more if you're doing a different type of cheerleading, which is called group stunt, which is just one of the little pyramid groups. It, it gets quite intense and it's it's quite expensive because no sane insurance company will allow anyone to go chucking small girls in the air without a fair amount of medical cover. Okay. Um, but yeah, <laughs> just a fun. I mean, I'm just imagining, imagine this, if you don't know what she's talking about, you know, like the Olympic divers, when they jump off the 10 meter platforms, well, imagine doing all those complicated things, only you've started off being thrown 30 feet into the air by someone. And when you're done with them, they're going to catch you. Maybe. Yeah, no, you know, the, the, the basic rule is don't let the girl in the air touch the floor. And if that means throwing yourself underneath her before she touches the floor, because the philosophy is you only have to fall from head height. They have to fall from like five mm. meters up, you know. So there's there's a lot, but it's a fun little side quest to do whilst I'm doing my degree, you know, like <laughs> yes. it means I sacrifice lectures and uni work, but it's kind of fun. You know, you make friends. It's very nice. <laughs> it's good to have hobbies. But I, whilst, of course, we've talked a lot on here about uh, your TikToks, which have just it really evolved away from, you know, being more explanatory to, to, you know, topical on it. And you're just someone that people will subscribe to and go, that's where I get a bunch of my F1 content from. Um, I'm much more fascinated by your university work. So you're in the last year of a degree in psychology. 
So yeah. you're go what? So you're exploring the human mind. I did two months of a psychology A level before oh. I was invited to leave. So I basically know the same as you. But what's the what's the end game for a psychology degree? So it depends what modules you take. I took a lot of neuroscience, so oh, there's wow. a lot of chemistry and brain science basically so in psychology there's two kind of it's a mush together of biological principles with sociology so human behavior so it's applying biology to behavior so a lot of the modules I've taken over the last couple of years especially have been about your neurochemistry your neurotransmitters hormones and how those affect behavior but um I kind of realized, obviously, over the course of my degree, I kind of fell into a career in motorsports. And mm. I thought, how can I make this degree as motorsportsy as possible? So I'm now writing a dissertation um, or I've conducted research about how we can encourage the uptake of electric vehicles using psychological mechanisms. Fool pe- trick people into electric cars. Oh, yeah. I think, you, I think you've just got to add the engine sounds in it so when you press the pedal it goes vroom, you would think then... but they they do that in a porsche boxster which is bad enough you know the do boxster they? is a, is a combustion car oh yeah if you sit inside a boxster obviously they're teeny tiny little things it's like a gateway porsche isn't it it's like i want a porsche but i'm gonna get a box you know it's the kind of one you have on your scale electrics but anyway if you sit inside a boxster it's so much louder on the inside than it is to anyone outside of it oh. which is so amusing catman you had a comment I got so many comments on that, but the, <laughs> the first is, yeah, they do it on the uh, BMW i8 supercar, electric supercar as well. I've driven one round a track and I thought I, as I got in and I, I drove it around, I was like, oh, hang on, it's making noise. Why is it making noise? Because they pump in fake combustion engine through the speakers. You can turn it up or down, depending how you want. Wow. But yeah, um, I, we used, uh, my dad used to have one of the, uh, six cylinder boxes and it's all you could ever need. I don't know why you'd want a 911. Anyway, I'll let you carry on with your Boxster was always my, my dream car. It's been my dream you car since I was a it. teenager. Absolutely so. stunning. It's been all of our dream car spanners. You're not special. <laughs> I, I, I am because I've played the Porsche Boxster game. Oh God, someone's going to tell me the name of the game, but you ha- it was only six cars on track and you'd race through, through city streets and you'd ha- the success ballast was incredible. So if you were in the lead, your car basically stopped to, to bring the cars together. Anyway, so you're going to trick us through your psychology to, uh, to drive electric cars. But I just, I just get, and I'm not saying you're wasting your time doing your degree, I just get this impression that you are destined to be a, a presenter of, of some sort. Like how serious is that dream now because you've been out there you've been around the world presenting doing stuff uh you you know we we are gonna say i think in a few years time like oh we knew her she used to be on mr apex yeah so i um i'm in the last stages of contracts for signing with gt world challenge for this season to present them the europe are you allowed to say that yeah i am i am so um for the first couple of races at least and then with the rest in view and um yeah i'm doing some work with uh autosport the motorsport uh com social media which i'm really excited about i think that's so cool um yeah it's one of those things i kind of just fell into it and it turns out i kind of i'm like right and I, I know the stuff you're solid and it's you know what like it's it's so fun it's so cool mm. just being around cars all the time and it's so hard to stay in uni when like you've got your dream career just dangling in front of you and they're like, okay, but finish your degree. Like it's important to get your degree. And you know, I owe it to myself. 
and it, it I'm is get my degree but it sucks so much but sitting writing a dissertation when all I can think is oh I'm going away in a month <laughs> like <laughs> you know like doing Dakar this year was whack that was crazy so cool it's it's really weird I, so, I don't I don't know how to explain it because I feel like whenever I just talk about it I sound so immodest but no I'm I'm so lucky I, I, I love it so much I and it's come out of nowhere so it hasn't come out of nowhere you've been working incredibly hard uh, admittedly you've only been alive about five minutes but yeah one of the <laughs> one of the, the places you you excel is you know it's, it's this kind of format you know and uh, like I have uh, on radio, interviewing is is one of the things I love the most. It's very dynamic. There's a lot of improvisation there. You have to really read the character. So your psychology will, will come in handy. And that's where you seem in your element. Mic in hand, speaking to someone, you're in control of that conversation. Yeah, it's fun. I, I love meeting people. And that's one of my favorite parts about my job, making friends. I feel like, you know, you, you go to a lot of events and you oh. meet so many people and <laughs> genuinely you make so many buddies and it's so nice you know and there's some teams you know where you work with them on a job and you love working with that team so much and then you go to another job and you think oh I took that other team for granted they were the best <laughs> and it's genuinely the greatest privilege ever as someone who I'm quite awkward socially I have ADHD I really struggle with kind of mediating my social interactions but being allowed to as part of my job just chat to loads of people and make loads of friends it's so fun. It's the best. Well, Antonia Rankin, consider yourself met. Uh, look in the show notes where Matt always makes sure there's links to everybody's social media, uh, links to Antonia's TikTok, uh, pictures of you throwing yourself under a previously flying lady, perhaps. We'll put all those links in the show notes below. Go and follow Chris as well at CatmanF1 on Twitter. Go and follow Matt at MattPT55. As ever, follow me. I'm the best one. Search Spanners Ready on your social media. Links in the show notes below. And do consider joining our little patron club because every other race review you see in the podcast charts and the episode charts on a Monday morning, every other race review has a production company behind them. We don't. We have, we have you. We have the patrons. We don't have a boss. We have a thousand bosses. Join them. Patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. Democratize the F1 charts and join us in our Patreon Slack group. Get an ad-free feed and some extra content where me and Matt hang out much in the style of the kind of meet the panel stuff. Until we see you next, work hard, be kind and have fun. This was Missed Apex Podcast. Patrons are only figuratively bosses. Terms and conditions apply. Patreon.com forward slash Miss Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more 
and is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.